0: I'm a big proponent of CBD to tonify the endocannabinoid system, which regulates many of our most critical bodily functions, such as learning and memory, emotional processing, sleep, temperature, and pain control, and inflammatory and immune responses. The CBD brand that I take and recommend to my patients is Plus CBD from CV Sciences, which is now proud to introduce a new innovation to their Reserve Collection, a sleep gummy. The Reserve Collection is a specially curated blend of full-spectrum cannabinoids, including THC, Rich and bold, the Reserve Collection products are for when intense support is needed. Reserve Sleep Gummies build on their unique Reserve Collection formula with effective sleep-focused ingredients to better prepare you for bed each night. Wake up feeling refreshed, energized, and ready to take on the day with Reserve Sleep Gummies. All of PlusCBD's products are backed by science with clinically researched active ingredients. To learn more and to order, visit pluscbdoil.com slash Hoffman and use coupon code HOFFMAN30 for 30% 30% off. That's pluscbdoil.com slash Hoffman for Plus CBD's new reserve collection, Sleep Gummies. Welcome back to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. We're talking about a great new book, Sugarless, Uncover Hidden Sugars, Curb Your Cravings, and Conquer Your Addiction. Uh, there's a seven-step plan in the book that will empower you to step away from your dependency your addiction to sugar and so so let's talk uh, solutions uh, dr avina because uh you know obviously uh your solutions are are based on some research you've you've done research with subjects uh to see what, you know, because maybe some of the tried and true strategies that seem to make sense don't really work out uh, when we field test them. So what are some of the insights that you've gained from your research?
1: Well, one of the big ones is, and again, I think this is something that we've learned over the years and years that we've had the diet industry in existence, is this whole idea about going cold turkey. And You know, typically, when you think about something being an addictive substance, we think, oh, wow, okay, if I'm addicted to it, I need to quit it immediately and and not ever use it again. Mm -hmm. And that might be true for some things like, you know, alcohol for some people, cocaine, heroin, right, Mm -hmm. where it's pretty cut and dry where the alcohol is, it's pretty obvious where the heroin is, and you have options right? There's no shades of gray as to whether or not, you know, this product contains heroin or not. I mean, you know where it is. Now, the problem with sugar is I think a lot of times when people take this mindset of, okay, well, I am addicted to sugar, I'm consuming too much of it, I need to stop and go cold turkey and quit it, that it really sets people up for failure for a couple of different reasons. The first is, it's hidden in so many of our foods, right? And, you know we are, you know, basically at the mercy of the food industry. And if you don't know the 200 different names for added sugar by heart, when you go to the grocery store, you might look at a package or a product and say, oh, look, It this looks great. I don't see the word sugar written anywhere on here, so I'm going to buy this. And it can end up having, you know, fruit juice concentrate or agave nectar or, you know, some corn syrup solids or something else that sounds like not sugar, but it turns out that actually is just a code name for added sugar. So it can be really difficult to just cold turkey, give it up because a lot of times people are consuming it and they don't even know about it. And then the other piece of it is, you know, I really just think from a psychological standpoint, if we focus on reducing where we can and replacing with healthier alternatives, that is a better strategy because it allows people to have some flexibility. If you say you're not allowed to have any sugar to yourself and then you end up having some, then what do you say to yourself? Oh, I failed. I messed up. I can't do this. And then you just forget about it and just go back on your merry way of eating all the sugar that you can. Whereas if you look at this in the sense of, you know what? I'm working hard to reduce my sugar intake, I'm going to cut it out where I can. I'm going to figure out how I can replace it with maybe some other things that I still enjoy and want to eat. That allows you flexibility so that you don't have a license to just, you know, throw in the towel if you happen to, you know, have a cookie or a, you know, a piece of cake one day. So, for me, I think those are really two of the big tenets of this is that we or approaching it as a a lifestyle, as, you know, a a journey, not as a diet, which, you know, I think is probably the biggest mistake anyone could make when they start to want to make changes to their health.
0: And so, you know, hearkening back to uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, Alcoholics Anonymous is an abstinence model. Pure and simple, cold turkey, never again shall alcohol touch your lips. Uh, And then there's some in the addiction realm who talk about uh, a harm reduction model, which is basically what you're talking about, which is, okay, let's learn to manage this. Let's minimize the harm. But realistically, uh, it's too draconian to say to people that they need to be like gray sheet OA. You know, there's actually an organization, Overeaters Anonymous, which is like has a jihad against sugar and carbohydrates, you know, virtual <laughs> virtual abstinence, you know, stay completely away. And that's very hardcore. And that may be for some of the really committed people or maybe the people who really can't go that middle path. You know, maybe there is no, no point of moderation for them.
1: Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I think now that when we look at the American Psychiatric Association's Diagnostic and Statistical Manual for Mental Disorders, when we look at the criteria for substance use disorder, it's now on a spectrum. There's no more, you know, black and white, like you have an, you're an alcoholic or you're not. There's mild substance use disorder for alcohol, moderate, severe. So there's different degrees that one can have of a quote-unquote addiction, And I think that that model and that shift in the way in which they've begun to diagnose these conditions has really been good because not only does it allow for people to have awareness if they even have a mild addiction, right? That, oh my gosh, I better do something about this and get a hold of this because I don't want it to turn into a severe form of an addiction. So it opens the door for more people to get help and to to work on their problems. But I also think... It does allow us to see that, you know, you can be at different points on this spectrum, right? It doesn't have to be, you know, where you've quote unquote hit rock bottom and now you have to, you know, pull yourself out of the abyss. You can have different degrees of severity of these addictions. And I think, like you say, you know, there are people who probably have it a very extreme form of it that The only way that they can manage it is to completely avoid it and is to very carefully monitor every morsel of food. However, I think when we look at, you know, the population in general, you know, we're seeing, you know, 50 to 60% of the population is obesity or overweight. And I do think a subset of those people probably do fall into that extreme form. But I think the majority of them probably fall more into that middle form of mild to moderate addiction, where If they can learn the skills and develop the strategies and the mindset to reframe how they think about food, how they incorporate different foods into their diet, then they don't necessarily have to have this, you know, complete abstinence approach. If we do a harm reduction, that's essentially what we want to do is reduce the harm, right? We we can reduce the harm. Reduce our chances of, you know, developing these medical complications and these mental health issues by reducing the amount of sugar that we're eating. And that's really the goal.
0: So actually, so the first tenet of your seven step plan is admit you're addicted. So to paraphrase the song, uh, you might as well face it. You're addicted to not love, but sugar.
1: Right. (laughs) And, you know, it's funny when I was doing the research for this book, that step is actually really an important one. And I I actually I had to convince my editor on this because she said, well, of of course, they wouldn't pick up the book if they didn't think that they were addicted. But there's still a stigma associated with that word. A lot of times that's a big pill to swallow in the sense where people are going to say, you know what, I actually am addicted to it. And that's why I wanted to make sure that the book was so heavily rooted in the science. And I take, you know, a couple of chapters to really go through the research and go through the studies on the addiction piece, and how sugar meets those criteria. Because I think it is important for people to see, you know, yeah, you you are addicted, here are the criteria for addiction. And and here's what happens. And if this is happening with you, then you know, you do meet the criteria. So I think that, you know, for some people, it's really easy and they say i'm addicted great that makes me feel better because i thought it was my fault and i don't have willpower and i've been blaming myself all these years and now if it's the food that's the bad guy then okay great we can deal with that but for others it's you know it's a bit more that they need to put in the time to think about you know a- actually identifying and having it be something that they feel addicted to
0: mm-hmm. so next step is to kind of inventory your sugar intake? Because as you uh, alluded to earlier, uh, some people just not conscious of how much sugar they consume. So uh, how do you go about that? How do you kind of take inventory on your sugar intake?
1: Yeah, I have a lot of different steps for this and strategies for people to try out because, you know, there's a few different things. There's, you know, the food you have in your home, right? We, We have pantries and refrigerators full of food. But then, you know, there's also when you go out to restaurants, everyone has their sort of favorite thing that they order or their favorite place that they like to go. And a lot of times we don't realize how much sugar is in these things and is in the foods that we enjoy. And so one of the exercises that I have in the book is for people to really, you know, look through your pantry, look through your refrigerator, look at the labels, and you'll be shocked to realize that probably all the condiments in your refrigerator have added sugar. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's a simple swap because you can, fortunately, now there are brands that, you know, make products that don't have added sugar, they're more expensive. But again, you know, it's a swap that you can make, it's just means when you go to the grocery store, you're going to have to buy, you know, maybe the more expensive ketchup that doesn't have sugar in it, or, you know, the different type of the salad dressing that doesn't have added sugar in it. But there's a lot of hidden sugars, especially in, you know, sauces. If you go out to restaurants, pasta sauce is a big one, has usually a lot of added sugar. Um, bacon, that was one that was really shocking, um, for a lot of people. You know, and again, you don't know this until you look at all those labels and especially things that are marketed as being healthy. You know, I think we all agree that yogurt is a, a, healthy choice to have it's got but it's, a, protein, it's a trojan boy, horse
0: for sugar because exactly. plain yogurt is just not that appealing to a lot of americans
1: it isn't and so that's why the food companies will manufacture yogurt that has you know fruit on the bottom which is usually basically just fruit juice and some colorant <laughs> and it's basically just sugar um marketed as being a fruit and so you do need to take a look and then really just be able to understand you know where are these Sources of sugar, so you can work to avoid them.
0: Then there's the context, the, the triggers that people, that cause people to engage in sugar consumption. And for some people, it may be stress. For some people, it may be relaxation. For some people, it may be socialization. For some people, it may be boredom. It may be loneliness. Uh, I can imagine a lot of <laughs> reasons that people turn to sugar for solace or for uh, gratification, right?
1: It's true, and really, those triggers are important to understand. A lot of times, you know, people use sugar to self-medicate. If you have a bad day at work, you know, say oh, I'm going to treat myself to something to cheer me up, mm-hmm. or if you have a good day at work yeah. <laughs> and you did well on a project, you're going to treat yourself to something to celebrate.
0: I think there's a term um, for that in psychology. It's called moral license. It's like what you ran five miles, that so I could have that donut right?
1: Right. You give yourself the permission. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And I think we end up doing that quite a bit. And then also, you know, a lot of people will manage their anxiety with sugar. I mean, I think that sugar is the most popular anti-anxiety treatment that's out there. Mm. And we just don't view it as that. But when you start to take a look at you know why you're, you know, suddenly wanting to have a cookie, or why you're having these cravings for these sweets. A lot of times, it can be linked to, you know, maybe your mind is starting to wander off into things that you're worried about or concerned about. Or, you know, I know for a lot of people that I interviewed for the book, you know, especially women, if it's end of the day, got home from work, got the kids' homework going, gotta make dinner, gotta, gotta, gotta you know, all these things that you have to do. Then suddenly you're looking for something to just temporarily make you feel good. So I think that when we start to look at, you know, those triggers and, you know, the situations and why we're eating sugar, we can use that as really powerful data for ourselves so that that way we can figure out a way to, you know, revamp those situations or at least be mindful of the fact that, oh, I'm, about to, you know, want to eat a piece of pastry right now, even though I'm not hungry, because I'm stressed out. And I think this will help me feel better. And when you tell yourself that, then sometimes it allows you to say, well, you know what, maybe I'm not going to eat it because I want to figure out a better way to deal with it.
0: So if you want to become more alert, uh, instead of reaching for that Mountain Dew, maybe, you you know, you just reach for uh, a cup of mildly caffeinated tea uh, without the added sugar. Uh, One of the Uh, points that you make is that, you know, when it comes to eliminating sugar, uh, you can get a lot of bang for your buck by simply addressing the sugar-laden beverages in your diet. Because many studies actually are a little equivocal about, uh, you know, say the sugar in bacon or the sugar that's in condiments, uh, but they clearly indict SSBs, sugar-sweetened beverages, as being uh, agents of disease and health mayhem.
1: Yeah, I'd say in the book, I mean, that's the spot to start. If, if you're looking to make a change, the very first place to start is your beverages for a couple of reasons. One is that, like you said, those SSBs, those sugar sweetened beverages are invariably contributing to all the things that we've been talking about, right? The health issues, the fact that, you know, people are gaining weight, all of these things because Those sugar calories that are in liquid form go down really easy. And if you think about it, you know, if I were to say to you, I have uh, eight apples right here and I want you to eat all eight of these apples right in front of me. You would probably sit there and, you know, you could do it, I bet, but it might take you a while and you might have to take a couple breaks and you'd probably be mad at me (laughs) for wanting you to do this. But if I said to you, I have eight apples and I'm going to throw them in a blender and make you an apple puree, I bet you you could down that in less than two minutes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's because we so don't get the, the same society. smoothie.
0: Yeah, right.
1: Yes, the smoothie is not so smooth, in my opinion, because it goes down really quickly. And again, if you were making a vegetable smoothie, and you know, let's just say, you know, you you cannot eat kale, right? Because you don't like the texture or the taste. But if you put it in the smoothie, that's the way to eat it. That's great. But when we start to talk about, you know, the number of different things that people end up putting in their smoothies; those calories go down real quick. You don't get as satiated, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. from drinking things. So, cutting back on the sugar sweetened beverages is certainly the first place to start. That means the sodas, the juices, and now, um, and now sports this-
0: drinks, and sort of those alertness beverages. You know the uh, you know the stuff that the the kids like.
1: Yes. So yeah, I don't want to give any names because I don't want to give them any free advertising. But yes, there are quite a few popular energy drinks on the market that are really popular among the, you know, preteen and teenage crowd. And again, they are marketed as being a way to, you know, boost your energy, but they have a lot of added sugar. Mm -hmm. And it's just not the best thing to do. So if you really want to make that change, it's really about cutting back on sugar in your beverages first and foremost. And, you know, one, two, that I want to make sure we discuss is coffee. Yeah. I think that most coffee shops these days I don't know how they even get away with calling themselves coffee shops because most of them are just selling dessert. dessert I mean, yep. if you look, <laughs> yep. uh, there's look, more it, sugar.
0: It, it's doubly reinforcing because we know that coffee is extremely reinforcing. So you've got these two addictive substances, maybe throw in a little fat. And, you know, yep. that's that is something that uh, really hits the pleasure centers of the brain. Uh, and you got the perfect concoction at about, you know, uh, four to 800 calories right there.
1: Exactly. And, you know, again, it's it's great to have a cup of coffee and enjoy your beverages, but you just want to make sure that it's not a dessert. Yeah. Make sure it's actually a coffee. And so cutting back on the added sugar in the drinks is really, you know, one of the best ways to get started with all this.
0: Okay. Speaking of getting started, one of the ways to, to, to kind of even out uh, your sugar cravings is to start the day right with a good Breakfast, that's point five of your seven step plan.
1: Yeah. So again, I don't advocate this, you know, cold turkey, do everything overnight approach. The seven steps are there so that you can take your time and work through them. And, you know, once you get through these initial phases and you're able to educate yourself and learn more about, you know, the sources of added sugar, what are some, you know, swaps that you can make so that you can still enjoy the things that you like, but not have all the added sugar. And addressing their beverages, then I really suggest people move on to breakfast. Breakfast is something that you know a lot of people are rushing through. If you, especially those who are working and have to get off to you know their job or whatever, and so you want to have something that's convenient, but it's going to make you feel satiated and full. Maybe not and a unfortunately,
0: maybe not a pop tart. That's not ideal.
1: No, not a pop tart. The cereals, the granolas, like all of these things that have traditionally been marketed to us as being these healthy breakfast options are really loaded with sugar and so i have a bunch of recipes in the book as well that are breakfast oriented items that are no sugar added and no sweeteners in the sense of no you know stevia monk fruit or anything like that they're literally just sweetened with fresh fruit or frozen fruit in some cases And it's really, you know, I think an important spot to start when it comes to figuring out your meals.
0: And I wanted to ask you about that now that you've brought it up is what about the role of uh, non-sugar sweeteners? You know, you you just substitute, you know, you can uh, instead of drinking Coke, you know, drink Diet Coke or, you know, use uh, Stevia or monk fruit or, you know, any of the ubiquitous uh, sugar substitutes uh, to uh, address your sugar craving and, and not get the adverse effects of the sugar. What about those?
1: Right. Well, I think when these were first developed and initially started to become popular, the hope was that they were going to be, you know, the savior of us in the sense that you could have this sweet taste, but not, you know, the damaging effects that sugar can have. But now that we take a look at the research, you know, studies show that people who consume diet sodas, diet beverages, um, use those types of products, especially if they're overweight or obese, they're actually more likely to eat more calories later on. Mm-hmm. So you might save yourself 200 calories right now having a can of diet soda, but you're going to end up eating 400 extra calories at dinner. It,
0: it's and so tease, in the right? end- it's, it, you know, it's sort of, you know, uh, it, it teaches your brain to seek out more carbohydrates later.
1: Right. I mean, and if you think about it from a biological standpoint, I mean, you can't blame the brain for doing that because you're giving it this sweet taste, but then you're not producing the calories that your brain's expecting. You're not producing the, you know, alterations in insulin and in some of these cases, alterations in blood glucose. So again, I think that these alternative sweeteners, they, I don't want to say that I I'm against them because I'm not. I think there's a place for them. I think especially if you're trying to wean yourself off of added sugar that, you know, they could be a crutch. But at the end of the day, I kind of view them as methadone for heroin. I mean, yeah, it's better than heroin, but you don't want to live on methadone for the rest of your life either. So ultimately, we need to get ourselves off of this dependence on having everything so overly sweetened.
0: So in the book, you know, this uh, seven-step plan includes uh, suggestions for addressing uh, dinner, addressing snacks. Uh, I think one of the big problems uh, with American eating habits is that we snack all too frequently. Uh, but if you are desirous of a snack, uh, there are better alternatives than a sugary snack, right?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I really think the key to snacks is having healthy fats and protein, because that's essentially what's going to, you know, make you feel full until your next meal. When people have these high sugar snacks, it makes you feel good momentarily, but it doesn't make you feel full for very long. And so, again, I think that really focusing on proteins and fats, as your way to help you bridge between meals is the best way to go.
0: Good. So, and I also wanted to ask you, and this is a little bit different, but you uh, studied neuroscience, so part of neuroscience is uh, studying pharmacology and the uh, intense uh, effort to come up with drugs that reduce appetite. Uh, Do GLP-1 drugs, you know, the Wigovies, the Munjaros, the Ozempics, the Rebelsis of the world, uh, do they hold out hope for people who have really challenging uh, sugar cravings?
1: I think it's a question that we need some more time to see the answer to, because essentially, we're kind of living in the experiment right now while people are taking these drugs. And, you know, some people are able to manage their diabetes well and to lose weight if that's necessary. Um, but again, I also think that, you know, the goal really needs to be in working out our relationship with food. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just find it very curious,
0: like behavior change
1: behaviorally. yeah, Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, I just, again, there's a place for these drugs, and we're fortunate that they're available for people who need them. However, I just find it curious that, you know, for many people, you know, if you can't control the intake of these foods that are bad for you, go on this drug, and it'll help reduce your craving for them. To me, the more sensible solution would be let's reduce the amount of these foods that are bad for you so that you're not compelled to eat them because they're ubiquitous in our society. And so, you know, when we need to make drugs to help people control their behavior around foods that are socially acceptable. To me, it just seems a little backwards. I feel like, you know, we need to be focused on making our food environment healthier and helping people to, you know, magnify their desire to eat healthier food options and have the school the skills and the behavioral abilities to, you know, not have to be reliant on a drug to do that.
0: So, is there evidence that there is a comeback trail from sugar addiction? That people can become more equanimous about uh, sugar, and you know, maybe uh, some people who have kicked sugar have said, "Boy, I really enjoyed uh, the flavor of that salad. The, uh, you know, the the uh, carrots, uh, the shredded carrots in the salad taste so sweet to me now."
1: Yeah, absolutely. I hear it all the time. I get emails daily. At- from people talking about this very fact that once they have made changes in their diet, that it's almost like they have this whole new world of flavors because a lot of things that they never thought had much flavor to them or tasted sweet. Now, suddenly they can taste the sweetness in fruits. They can taste the sweetness in things like carrots when they're roasted, especially, and it really can be a big game changer for people because then they're finding that, Hey, if I have a sweet craving, I can have a couple of grapes and that satisfies it. I don't need a chocolate bar. I don't need, you know, a bowl of ice cream. I can get that sweet craving satisfied by some of these foods that are actually healthy for me. Mm-hmm.
0: And I wanted to ask, you know, finally, in conclusion, you know, we talked about, you know, health problems like diabetes and, uh, you know, all the problems that are associated with obesity. You know, these these hardcore health problems that uh, kill you cancers and so on. But as a psychologist, uh, do you think there's a prospect for addressing uh, mood problems, anxiety, depression, even more serious problems like bipolar disease, schizophrenia uh, with diet, especially looking at the role of sugar in it?
1: Absolutely, And, you know, I think that medical doctors that are really well in tune with the research and with what's going on will say to their patients, like, hey, if you're having, you know, feelings of sadness or your mood is disrupted, like, one of the things you have to do is address your diet because your diet can have a significant impact on how you feel. And especially with the sugar, a lot of times people, you know, when they're going through these cycles of, you know, all these processed foods with all this added sugar and these ups and the downs in their mood, that when they are able to reduce the added sugar, it can be a more even feeling. And people talk about how they feel calmer and sort of, you know, less all over the place. So I think that that is a tool that is underutilized in psychiatry, and it's something that, you know, we really need to be promoting more because there's no downside to it. Eating healthier is never going to make you sick.
0: <laughs> right. The side effects are actually beneficial effects in that case. Well, I want to thank exactly. you uh, and, you know, congratulations, because I, I think uh, what you've done is you've you've accomplished uh, something really challenging, which is you've melded, you know, really uh, a very uh, advanced uh, scientific research uh, with a message that's understandable and implementable uh, news that people can use uh, in your book Sugarless. Uh, uncover hidden sugars, curb your cravings, and conquer your addiction. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think it's, it's your book is one of the best of its genre. Uh, there have been many books about, you know, kick the sugar habit, blah, blah, blah. But I think your book uh, is kind of a crowning achievement in that field and really uh, brings to bear some of the latest science on the subject. So, Thanks, thanks for doing it, and congratulations on your career path. Um, Thank you. So the book is uh, Sugarless. It's available from all the usual sources. Uh, Dr. Avina, do you have a website? Is there a place where people can get more information?
1: Oh, yeah. You can learn more about me at my website, drnicoleavina.com, and I'm also on social media at drnicoleavina.
0: Okay, spelled A-V-E-N-A. Uh, thank you very much, Dr. Ravina, for joining us. I uh, appreciate uh, taking the time and best of luck with the.
1: Oh, great. Thank you. Thanks so much.
0: Okay. My pleasure. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I want to thank you for listening to the Intelligent Medicine Podcast follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or your favorite podcast app and get new episodes automatically downloaded every weekday. And please give us a rating and review. It truly helps new people discover Intelligent Medicine. The Intelligent Medicine Podcast is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice and no doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of information on this podcast or materials linked from this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice for any medical condition they may have and should seek the assistance of their health care professionals for any such conditions. Finally, please visit DrHoffman.com and discover everything Intelligent Medicine has to offer, including frequently updated, unbiased health news and fully vetted product and supplement recommendations. You know how important it is to ensure that your supplements are genuine, safe, and effective. That's why I partnered with FullScript, an online dispensing platform that only offers curated professional grade brands that I know and trust. The very same supplements that I prescribe to my patients and take myself